Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Bass Life Podcast. In this episode, Brian and Tim take over the upstairs bar at the Horner Pub in Lauterbrunn in Switzerland, and they sit down with David Lafargue. I'm really bummed I had to miss this one, but um, hopefully you enjoy it, and be sure to check out the show notes because there are a lot of good links in this one. Three, two, one, see ya. You're listening to the Bass Life Podcast with your host, Tim. All right. Welcome to the Bass Life Podcast. We are live. At least we are alive. We are live. We're not a we're not live. It's live today though. It's live right now. Mm-hmm. It's happening. I'm I I must be careful of what I say. That's correct. About Randy's mom. Correct. So joining us today in the studio is Tim and our guest David Lafargue. Hello, hello. So, uh with us today, yeah, like I said, David Lafargue, uh you've been around uh the the bass jumping community for how long? Six and a half years now. Wow. So what it, where, when did you get into bass? Got into bass in January 2012. Yep. Um, the first six months took a while. I did like uh, 10 jumps in the first six months, and then I started really committing to it. But um, I started alone, so the beginnings were a bit uh, long and complicated. <laughs> uh, where did you start? Um, I started in Belgium, um, because uh, back, I- back in those days I was living in Paris, um, Belgium were the closest uh, easy uh, slider down object to do. My friends were starting uh, from antennas there, and um, they had a crew that were not like really mentors, but people that were, you know, checking the pack jobs and stuff. So I did some grand crew in Belgium for those guys, and um, one day uh, my mate uh, broke his leg, um, which meant I could use his rig. <laughs> so he helped me to pack. Um, before going to the hospital, and I went up uh, on the antenna, and one of the Belgian dudes uh, gave me a PCA, and then I continued my path alone. Nice. So did you, uh, were you big into skydiving before that? (laughs) (laughs) I had 93 skydives. Oh, nice. So plenty. Uh, Yeah, a sky god. Yeah. Literally a sky god. For sure. (laughs) Nice. Um, So, let's see. Basically... In those six six and a half now? Yeah. So in those six and a half years, you've gone all over the place? Yeah, I did. Um, I've jumped in 23 countries. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, do you keep a logbook? I do keep a logbook. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. I wish, I, I now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh, I should have kept a logbook. Oh, you don't? Nope. Damn. In fact, I didn't keep a logbook after jump 25 in skydiving. Okay. Yeah, literally just couldn't be asked to write that stuff down. Well, I have a I have an Excel file where I log all the jumps, the objects, the, the gear I'm using. It helps me keep track of um, the number of jumps on my canopies, pilot shoot, etc. And um, there is a practical. Um, it's good for a practical reason, as I say. You see the, the your equipment. All is your equipment. You also see. Um, how current you are through the season, like for example, feeling like, oh my god, black line was a bit visual today. I wonder, like last year, I used to be better. And then you go back to your logbook and say, yeah, but when I started doing black line, 
Last year, I had 100 tracking jumps in the season, and this year, I've done only 25, so I'm not as current. Maybe I should work more. So it helps you to see where you are, more or less, and also I keep um, a log of uh, comments about the jumps. So it, it's it's so fun to look back at the jump you did in 2013, and you write, oh, it was terrifying, and then you go back to the jump, and it's super easy, you know? No, yeah. It's good mm-hmm. memories. Yeah. Do you keep a logbook, Tim? Um, I keep an Excel file, of course, for gear. Um, but really, my comments only is the people I jumped with uh, and the object, of course. But uh, I don't know. I'm just not into writing or typing stuff down. Uh, mm-hmm. I do that for a living. But, um, yeah, usually, like, the location. Do you really put in a lot of effort into your comments? Um, it depends. Like when I'm jumping in Lato Brunen, I just write track, okay, or track bad. Oh my god, I suck. Uh, stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> then when I, uh, when it's a special object, you know, like you've been jumping a, a monument or a special building and stuff, yeah, I try to write, uh, a few lines, you know, to remember the details who I jumped with and, and, and be able to feel the vibe when I read back into it uh, years later. So what you're saying is you have evidence. On an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, but it's okay because I hide it in my uh, porn file. (laughs) So it's in the middle of so many dirty stuff that the police will never try to get into that. (laughs) Nice, yeah. Now I look back and I'm like, yeah, I should have done that. But, yeah, I just don't. Never too late. (laughs) I I, I could start. Actually, my New Year's resolution two years ago was to download the uh, base uh, logbook onto my iPhone with the base log app. And it was great. I was keeping log, and it was great, and then dropped my phone in the toilet, and <laughs> of course, it wasn't backed up. So all of those logs are gone, and I was like, never again. Yeah. So highly recommend a logbook if you want to you know, look back someday. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to miss out. Yeah, memories are really hard to get back. Yeah. Um, I'm getting older, and my memory is really bad <laughs> as it is. I barely remember Brian's name from time to time, but it would be nice <laughs> oh, yeah. to remember some of those really special moments. Mm-hmm. But well, cool. So, you know, looking back, you've been recently actually you've been doing a base course, yeah? Yes. Nice. How's that going? It's going amazing. Um, I started like. I've always enjoyed um, communicating information to uh, new people. Um, it's I find it entertaining. Uh, I like to uh, see the people evolving in their progression, and I also I share a lot the emotion of people uh, when someone does his first jump with me. I'm frothing, you know, I'm like mm. super excited, like wow, because I remember my emotions on the first jump, and I I'm happy to to share that with people. So. Um, when you get experience in base jumping, it's um, it becomes harder and harder to feel some really intense emotion. Things become you, you still feel fear and uh, excitement, but uh, like the the raw, pure, like really intense emotion you get at the beginning, it's really hard to get it. You need to go really hard <laughs> to get that again. But you can uh, share the experience with someone new, and it's it's really exciting to share that, and it's exciting to see someone progress. So. I was always excited about the, the idea of um, of doing one day my course. Um, started thinking about it seriously three years ago, but I didn't feel ready at that moment because I thought that I need did some personal evolution in my jumping to be able to do it. And um, 
I also wanted to be sure I was made for that. So um, I was lucky that Dukes gave me the opportunity to help him on a course, which um, which has been like an interesting in experience for me to see some teaching techniques because Dukes has been for a long time in the sport and not only in base jumping but also in skydiving. So there, is a, there was a lot of uh, things to learn from that. And also uh, it gave me the confirma confirmation that I really enjoyed doing it mm -hmm. really really enjoy so i've been then since um that Dukes, um that course start again that course with dogs was two years ago um and i've been i was like okay i enjoyed it it's not the moment yet i'm gonna wait a little bit and i felt uh, this winter that it was the moment uh, because i felt ready i felt like i had the experience and i had um the opportunity and um enough money aside to take the risk of uh, quitting jobs and throw myself in that new adventure. Hmm. So st started this summer and yeah, living the dream. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I thought it was funny last night. You actually, we asked, I asked you last night how your classes are going. You said it's a success. No one has died. <laughs> it's such an interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. <laughs> it's, uh, that's what I, I said to my student two weeks ago. I was like, okay, um, the the goal of this course is officially um, to make you uh, a safe and good jumper, but priority number one is that you don't fucking go in, in my course, okay? Mm -hmm. So you're going to do what I say <laughs> 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 and not what I do. Um, now, I have noticed that uh, all of these recent uh, classes, everybody's wearing clothes. What happened to the naked base <laughs> training course? Because I was waiting to see who was going to be the next one after Annalise. It, it, it's not easy to have a, an Annalise every year, you know. <laughs> Clearly, you, but you aren't trying hard I, enough. I am, I am though encouraging all the young hot ladies that want to take a course with me, uh, naked, to come, you know, send your application. Yeah. <laughs> there are spots available. Always, always. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, if you're hot... If you're a hot chick, like skydiving experience doesn't matter anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, just ask. There, there was actually um, a really interesting uh, article wrote by Katie Hansen mm -hmm. about um, about um, the dangers of being a woman and progressing in the sport. Sure. And um, I say what I say as a joke isn't really a joke for some people. Absolutely. So if uh, if some girls are listening. Uh, to us right now, beware of men, Thor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I've seen it firsthand where there are people that are willing to take people on jumps that they know they're not ready for, but either one, they want to, you know, bring them along and, and who knows what else. And then, uh, you know, also, they don't want to go to Yellow Ocean every single time. No. So they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to be fine at high nose. Just come with us. That's thing you know. That's the thing. Mentoring someone and taking someone, it's work. Because you need to travel a lot to bring the people to the nice object. You need to wait long hours to make sure they jump in the right conditions. Um, it, it's it's real work, so don't, don't take it lightly, you know. You're right. going to be working out. You finish your course, you're knackered. Yeah. Mm. You're, you're, you're exhausted. I just finished one a few days ago. I slept for two days. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it's nice when people want um, to take friends and share the experience and stuff. And um, 
you know, I think base is a free sport and I hope it's going to stay free so people have the possibility to overtake a, overtake a course or start alone and with friends, you know. Um, but, um, but if you're taking some friends, be careful. Like, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. You have to do it properly. Like, f- respect your friend's life, you know. Oh, yeah. It's probably you, you're going to take someone to the non-appropriate object and it's going to be okay, it's going to be fine, but... You want to achieve perfection if you want to stick around. Stick around, you know. And if you start uh, being a bit loose, you know, it's not gonna go well in your progression because that's something you're you're gonna keep. Yeah. Speaking of not going well, have you had any? So we we have a little piece of the uh, podcast that we like to call the history of injury. So, Woo-hoo. David, have you ever? Uh, what have you ever injured yourself base jumping? I fucked my landing. <laughs> ah, yeah, I remember that. Oh, what God. happened there? Um, shame. I. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty sad. Yeah. No. Um. So it was just after Duke's course. I took all the students to the Eiger. Was not part of the course, just you know, for fun because we were really sharing good vibes. Um. Exited, did a beautiful track, open high above the landing. I had plenty of time in the canopy and I started fucking around. Like, woohoo, you know. When you get super confident on a jump you've done dozens of times and the Eiger is an easy jump. And, you know, you're like, yeah, you're frothing. And I just forgot completely about my landing. So I ended up putting myself into the situation where I had to land um, on a shitty spot. Uh-oh. Instead of the nice place where I had opened. <laughs> I was like, oh, too late to get back to landing. I decided to land, and I landed in a spot that was full of holes. So I just put my foot in a hole, fell in front, um, fell on my belly, and my foot stayed stuck. So I broke my ankle, tendon, and ligaments. Holy shit. (laughs) Yep. And um, I was so sure that I had nothing, you know, that I uh, walked my way back uh, to Kleiner Scheidegg. I mean, walk. I uh, was crawling and and going on one foot and saying, yeah, no, it's okay. You know, I've had fractures before. This is not one of them. Dr. (laughs) David Lafargue. (laughs) In reality, I was fucked. Totally blown out. (laughs) That's my only injury. Um, Nice. Well, I mean, over, over the course of six and a half years, that's... Yeah. Pretty fucking good. Not too bad, but I I will I really wanted to have like Doug's uh, record of you know 20 years in the sport without a broken bone. Mm. Uh, if we don't ca- count his uh, party bones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> breaks bones all the time, yeah. just not jumping. Exactly, but no, I I failed unfortunately. I hope this is the last one. Yeah, you and me both. Mm-hmm. I, I broke my hand in in uh, to Lynn. Yeah, just on a downwind landing, flared and my hand punched the ground and the ground punched back it's crazy how you have the tendency to fuck up on the easiest jumps you know you're so focused on the hard ones and then as soon as you do something uh, in a place where you're confident and you've done dozens of times bam you know you you lose uh, you lose um, attention yeah yeah I mean people talk about complacency and it's like you don't get complacent until you do yeah exactly and then it doesn't go right and you're like oh that was me being complacent. Yeah, yeah. Whoops. You, you, you are your worst enemy. Yeah. You know, um, you, you think uh, things happen always to others. You think you're not gonna fall into that uh, that trap. 
all the things you think and then you realize like what I realized in base jumping in the past six years is that um, I was my worst enemy and I couldn't rely on myself as much as I thought this is why I um, do checks this is why I have procedures for everything because you cannot trust yourself people who have accidents you know they they've usually you have a lot of people that are have been warned you know people from the outside can see it coming but yourself you cannot and uh, and it it happens to all of us because this is how we are met so you just have to be aware of that and maybe sometimes they're like mm, am i being in that that phase at the moment you know and be able to 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 check it's a very good point when you <laughs> complacent that's internally to yourself and you don't know that you're actually complacent you just have the confidence and then you start ignoring other people and just listening to your friends at some point uh, may help you not get injured not go in um when you have when you hurt yourself where you you were just complacent within your within the moment it sounds like um has there been moments where you had friends say something to you and you've reflected or uh, not reflected and realize after something happened. Exactly. And I think this is why it's important to uh, tell to friends um, when you see they are going on the wrong path. They might not listen to you at first, but if enough people repeat it, repeat it, it might it might click at some point. And is, if you know that you are actually your worst enemy and you are not capable of seeing you from the outside, um, it's the role of people uh, from the outside to to warn to warn you ag- against yourself, mm. and it's a, it's a hard role because uh, you know you you sound like the the asshole, the party pooper, etc. But the it's necessary. Yeah, the base police. And I'm I'm not saying you have to insist for hours and uh, you know um, tell people um, all the time the same thing and and repeat it over and over again. You just say it once and then you let the people do their own choices. But mm-hmm. at least you said it once and if another pace, person says it and stuff, it's going to click at some point. But if you don't do that work, the person can't realize it by yourself unless there is an accident. Yeah. And w- what Duke said in one of his uh, you know, safety talks really hit home was if you say something, at least your conscience is clear. Yeah, it might be callous to think of it, but... If you don't say something and something happens, you're going to regret it. Hmm. So if you get that off your chest, at least you've, you know, said your piece. And, you know, they don't have, they they can tell you to (coughs) pound sand, but Hmm. at least if something does happen, you'd be like, well, Hmm. I tried. I did what I could. Exactly. I've also, um, so that's also an exercise that I've been doing for the course that was, um, that managed to warn my students about um, group effect. Um, I did, um, we were in Brento, so we had um, uh, time in the afternoon, and I uh, took students to Moleta, which is slide on jump, and I was like, okay, so you have a, a cliff, and say, there is an exit point somewhere, there is a place where it's jumpable, this is a laser, good luck. So I'm behind, looking at the the process of decision about how to find the exit point, which part of the cliff is jumpable, um, how to find a landing, how to to find the access, how to throw rocks, make sure that there is no climbers under before you throw rocks, take a decision about what con- which configuration you're going to use to jump, etc., etc. So it was a really long exercise for them, really hard, but really interesting because first it shows you the um, um, the whole process you have to do behind it, mm-hmm. um, 
then it shows you um I'm not I'm not expecting students to be able to um to open a cliff after that. Right. That was not the point. The point was to 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 show what was behind it and um so it opens when you are capable of doing that exercise in your head you understand what's going through um through the decision of a jump and you I think you're a better decision maker and it also shows um the the other point was to show to say look how hard it was to open a hundred meters jump that is visible from the road. Imagine um imagine how hard it has been to open some bigger exits. And this is why you should respect the rules and respect the places because it's really hard work. You don't want to ruin it for other people. So that that were the two points I wanted to make with mm. this exercise. But then I discover um through experimenting that with students that I, I managed to actually um, teach more to them. Uh, the third point is warning against group effect because when we arrived uh, there, uh, one of the students was terrified. It was the moment to jump and he was like, yep, nope, I'm thinking about walking back, I'm not doing it. I'm like, okay, fair enough, but um, let's analyze your fear. Uh, is it the fear based on uh, something you see or is it just um, fear that comes out of uh, of nowhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And we start taking like po point by point, like is it the exit that is scary? Is it the free fall? Is it the canopy? Is it the landing, etc.? And then we found out that it was none of them. Mm -hmm. It was a fear that was based on absolutely nothing uh, uh, existing, you know, no, no technical problem. So it's like, why are you scared today on this jump? Whereas five days ago, when we did a more technical one, you are frothing. Mm -hmm. You just went for it and you jumped without asking questions. Yep. And the answer to that is group effect. Because when we went to that over jump, he was not part of the decision process. I told him, this is safe. Jump that direction. Everybody was giving high five. We were smiling, good vibes, etc. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he went for it without asking any question, without thinking, am I doing something dangerous or not? And then when he was part of a decision process on an easier jump, he realized what's behind it and suddenly it becomes terrifying. Yep. But every single jump in base jumping is like this. It's just that sometimes you, someone feeds you the information, but then when you find out what's behind it, it becomes terrifying. So I was like, look, this is what this is the problem of group effect. You showed us uh, last week that you were sensitive to group effect because you went to a more technical jump without asking questions. One day, you will be in Lauterbrunnen. Lauterbrunnen is a really nice valley. You think nothing can happen. The, the, green, the grass is green. You have the little cows. Everyone is smiley, etc. And you will be with groups of people giving you high fives, saying, yeah, you can do it. We're in holidays. We're frothing. We had a good party yesterday night. And you're going to get trapped mm -hmm. in a group effect doing something you shouldn't be doing. And and that exercise managed um, um, ah managed to make me prove a point basically. Oh yeah. And uh, and warning ag against group perfect because you always think oh no I'm not like that I'm gonna act different and stuff. I just prove you are like that because you already got trapped in. Be careful in the future and I hope it's gonna remember it one day when he will be jumping by himself with big groups of people. Yeah yeah I mean that's probably one of the bigger holes in my game is I've never opened an exit. I don't know how that goes. And yeah, like I've always put trust in people that I trust mm. to take me to exits that I'm ready for. Mm. And so I've been lucky in that sense, but at the same time, that's 
that's a uh, that's a gap that I can try and fill because well one I, I come here all the time there's there's no need to open anything and two uh, opening things elsewhere is risky for those of us who can't risk things yeah so legal base is all about it and uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's not that much about opening an exit. Um, but side assessments. Yeah. Exactly. The assessment, being able to, you know, even if people give you the information, um, even if you cannot throw a rock because there is something under, I like to go over the edge and look at what's going to be my visual in free fall and make a decision and prepare myself for the jump. I don't understand why I see people that arrive to an exit point and you tell them, you don't look over the edge before going. And it's like, Ah, it's okay. I trust you. I'm I'm scared of heights. You know, I, uh, you know, it's it's okay on certain jumps, and then when it becomes technical and you have to, you know, to make a start or jump in a certain direction, you want to be aware of what's under. You know, yep. and I think it's important. It's it's really hard for me because I'm I'm scared of going on the edge. You know, I, I touch myself with ropes and I have my legs shaking and everything. But you have to do it. It's important to to be independent. You know, to assess the site. Yeah. Yeah. So, looking at uh, Lauterbrunnen today, as you uh, as you drink Coke, because did you have a little, did you have fun last night? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, any morning where I need to go pick up my stash back uh, at the at the Horner pub. Uh, means it was a, a good night. So yeah, yeah, my stash bag is still behind the bar at the moment we're talking, and it's 3 mm-hmm. p.m. So yeah, I had a good night probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I had an early night last night, and went and did my first solo mission. As in, I went to an exit point with nobody else mm-hmm. and jumped, and didn't see anyone from start to finish. Never. In my life, have I done that before? Really? Yeah. Took took five plus years. Really? And uh, yeah, I got up at before six a.m. and uh, hiked to Lamoose <laughs> and did did a solo Lamoose. Okay. It was interesting. I can see where people like it. I'm a social person, so like mm-hmm. I. But yeah, it was inter- it was definitely a uh, different experience because it's quiet. Yeah. You were also planning like your strategic where you're gonna land to catch the right bus to go to the next jump and meet yeah. up with your friends and yeah uh, I was getting messages because I was supposed to meet up with him but I had a really good sleep last night and mm-hmm. couldn't wake up in the morning but uh, Brian had this whole experience and when he was talking about it later at uh, High Nose. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that there was something else about that exit and not knowing that was his first mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny like how you have jumped a lot alone uh, from the beginning, mm. um, and you definitely apprehend the jump in a really different way. Mm-hmm. You take it down a little bit, you know. You are just with yourself, and you can you are you are facing. You don't have a comforting smile or high five or anything. You're like, okay, whew, here I am. And, uh, I still counted down too, <laughs> and I stopped halfway and was like, "Why am I counting down?" Oh, that's because that's what I do. So I'm gonna do what I'm nor- I normally do, exactly. Even though nobody needs to know my count. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, I, I do. I do the same. It's funny. You have a really. You are in a different zone. I can't say 
but I prefer one or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. I enjoy both in a different way. Yeah. It's uh, it's total totally different experience. I found myself as I was hiking and after right after I uh, exited uh well one when I was hiking I almost died like three times cuz I you know just you you slip a little bit and in my head I'm going oh dear god if I slip and fall down the mountain nobody's ever going to find me no one will ever know i mean they know i'm hiking this morning and they're going to have to like come find me somewhere and god knows where i am and that happened like every time i slipped i was like ah! the reevaluation of life <laughs> so and then you know you gear up and you're like well i'm doing this all on my own i'm looking yeah i think i've got it right nobody look around to make sure or Give me a check. Nah, fuck it. Ah. And off I go. Yeah, it was interesting. It's uh, it's uh, also, yeah, it's it puts you in a different zone, but it also shows you that, um, I don't know, you know what you're doing, you know, yeah. because you do your process yourself. Um, I, it's also part of the exercises I did during the course. Um, like before leaving from the bridge, we had uh, 16 jumps in four days. And I told my student, okay, now you're going to do a solo jump, you know. You're going to go up alone. You're going to gear up. You're going to do your gear checks. I'm not looking at you. You know you can do it. You're going to arrive at the right part of the bridge. You're going to jump and uh, etc. So it was scary for him. And then he did it. And it unlocked something for him straight away. He's like, oh, yeah, I can do it. And uh, then when we finished the course in Lauter Brunen, he went for his uh, solo jumps without... Uh, Without this mindfuck, because this this gate was already open, right? And you have to force it a little bit. It's funny because he was scared, of course, when uh, going up the bridge, and also I, I was. I mean, yeah. I was. Don't fuck up. Yeah, yeah, don't fuck up, please. Of course, you know while he was packing, I was pretending he was not watching, but I was definitely watching what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, but I think it's important, you know, to to cut the cord and like. And see, yeah. like, okay, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna leave that object without me being sure that you are capable of jumping it alone. Right. Because you will have to at some point. Mm-hmm. And once you open that gate, then it's done, you know. The only day I've, I've jumped a lot alone and it didn't cause me any problem. The only time where I was a bit scared was uh, last year um, when I went up the Eiger alone because I was supposed to meet up with Dominic. I think he got drunk. Uh, I ended up being alone in the train. And here I am on the train to Kleinerscheidegg thinking, oh, oh, God, I am alone. And there it's different because it's high mountain environment. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, it's it's a whole new problem. So mm-hmm. I was like, uh, and it was my first jump back to the Eiger after my accident. <laughs> so it mm. puts me <laughs> in a certain mood also. And I arrive there and sit down uh, in Eiger Gleitscher for 10 minutes. And they're like, okay, I cannot fuck up because I am alone. So check the weather more than I used to do, you know. <laughs> like, okay, the radar, have all the little clouds around and stuff. I was like, okay, I've done this hike. I know that there is some sketchy parts uh, on, you know, when you go up the ropes. So I'm going to be more careful there. I know the weather is okay, so I have a... I have a time I'm not going to stay stuck, etc. And I just uh, turn off my phone to save the battery, be able to call rescue. I was like, okay, let's do it. And uh, it was actually really, it was the only time jumping alone where I was thinking, okay, really be careful, David, because this could go wrong, you mm-hmm. know, like if weather changes and stuff. And I need to hike down all by myself or if I fall on the rope section, 
it's gonna suck. We're fucked. It's gonna suck. So I was being really careful, but in the end, like uh, standing alone on the mushroom was really, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it yeah. so much. Very freeing, I'm, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a number of solo jumps just here in the valley, mm-hmm. um, but when I get to my gear up spot, I, well, I let someone know that I'm going in advance, so I'm not necessarily alone. So while I'm on hike, if something happens during the hike and I don't touch base before I gear up, mm-hmm. I touch base when I gear up, usually my wife. Um, even when she's not in the valley, I'll message her, tell her I love her, right. and then she's expecting within five to six minutes mm-hmm. that I'm going to be messaging her back, that it was mm-hmm. a good jump, and I still love her, and have <laughs> that connect. So that way she can call Riga and hey, he was at this exit. This is where yeah. he was hiking, and they can at least have some approximation yeah. uh, of connecting. So uh, I make sure that I'm not alone in that way. Mm. But uh, you do have to go through the process of you're doing your own gear checks. You're yeah. there with your own energy. You're walking to the edge to yourself, and yeah, I count. I count mm. as well. <laughs> uh, it's just my process and yeah, it, you're there by yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. what I do is I try to make it so I'm not really alone. Yeah, no, for sure. You, you need to be able to, to have someone that knows where you are and call rescue if shit happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because as soon as you have somebody else with you, none of those thoughts really go through your head till it's, I think. I think gear up point is when everybody starts to get quiet and start to be a little more self-aware, hopefully. This is the the power of group effects. Yeah. It is is positive in the way um, that it it puts you in the good zone, which means you can, uh, if you put the fear a little bit aside, you can focus on what you're doing and perform better. Um, It's just dangerous if it goes too far if it gives you too much confidence mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but uh, it's uh, it's also a good tool you know yeah. to, to have these uh, people it's around the energy yeah and yeah. it's fun i like <laughs> sharing jumps with my friends definitely <laughs> so david what what was before base jumping and skydiving what was little david like <laughs> what was your i mean so what's your background like what did you do before that um I'm I'm trying to 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 think about what part of my life <laughs> I'm going to talk about. Um, I, I've I, I've had a. Um, well, let me put it this way: Are you from France proper? Mm, ah, so I'm born in France. Um, I've never lived in France really. Uh, I grew up the first five years of my life in France, uh, and then uh, I went around the world with my dad on a sailboat. And wow. I've lived for 15 years around the world on a sailboat wow. uh, with my daddy. So I've been seeing a lot of countries, been used to be moving all the time, yeah. uh, spent my life uh, in the water. And then I went to Paris for studying. So I was uh, wearing a suit. I was in a business school. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked serious, but I wasn't. I think I saw one of those pictures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> short hair mm-hmm. suit. Uh, no, but uh, so I was in the school. I managed to keep it entertaining because uh, I wasn't following the um, exactly the same path, uh, path as everyone. Managed always to do fun internships, um, trade one year of internship for a, a, a world tour with a friend where we were doing some filming, etc. And um, and this world tour definitely showed me that I couldn't be in an office after I mm. couldn't. And that's the year when I came back. 
Um, so I had started skydiving while uh, while being in business school, and uh, while doing this world tour, I read uh, Doug's book, Confession of an Idiot, and I was like, oh, this is rad, this is so cool, like the best jumping life, and I remember I was in Thailand and took a night bus to go to Kuala Lumpur to look at the KL Tower, so <laughs> I, I paid for a visit in the KL Tower, I was... Uh, uh, with my copy of Confession of an Idiot, and I was <laughs> thinking, okay, I took the decisions like, okay, I'm going to put some energy into starting base jumping, and maybe one day I will jump from here, and maybe I will meet that guy. And two years later, exactly two years later, I was doing uh, linked aerials with Dukes from the KL Tower. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, yeah, base jumping definitely took me away from the from the potential uh, office life in Paris. <laughs> well, congratulations. Sailing. You still into sailing? Or, uh, or you hate it now? I fucking hate it. <laughs> oh, God damn it. My dad is still on his boat, living the dream, you know, like sailing, drinking beers, inviting hot ladies uh, to sunbath on his boat and all that stuff. Yeah, that um, sounds terrible. Terrible, terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I can't anymore. I've been like, I've really enjoyed uh, my life. Um, my life on the boat but the last year you know when you become a teenager the last year was difficult like okay now I need to I'm done with it and uh, and I've arrived to a point of saturation with the boat Mm -hmm. uh, where I'm like okay I'm happy of the years I've lived it was fucking I had an amazing childhood (laughs) but uh, I will not live on the boat anymore you know it's uh, and and I'm more like now that I discover mountain sport I'm into backcountry snowboarding into base jumping, would love to learn paragliding, speed flying, all that stuff, and you don't have all of that on the sea. So, yeah, I do a lot of water sports too, but it's not they're not the ones that attract me because I've done them a lot already. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I'd rather be in the mountain. What I kept from that is the ability to move uh, fast all the time and, um, and just possess... Re- uh, small amount of things to be able to to travel um around uh in and make quick decisions to travel and this is why now i live in my van you know mm-hmm. it's it's like having the almost like the boat life yeah i was gonna mm-hmm. say van around. life base life what is it about boat life what's the like worst thing because you're you're shattering my dream of <laughs> sailing around the mediterranean with like linen pants and no shirt. <laughs> this is exactly what it is. That so it's wh- not. I'm so not shattering any, anyone's dream. It's actually an amazing life. It's just that when you've done it a lot, mm. and you're you you're a teenager, at some point you need to stop. You need to go to school. You need to see friends and stuff. And it mm. was just that last year, you know, this maybe month when you're entering into the, those teenagers that it's uh, like around 13, 14 years old. You're like, oh no, it's time for it to stop. So your rebellious stage as a teenager was, I'm not going to live on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to sail the seven seas anymore. (laughs) I want to go to school. (laughs) I want to go to school. Yeah, that's opposite of my rebellious. (laughs) I don't want to go to school. Uh, No, but life life is actually really fun. Uh, I encourage you to... To, to follow my dad on Instagram, uh, <laughs> Pierre sur son voilier, which means uh, Pierre on his boat. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, is um, most people think it's about sailing. Um, that's bullshit. It's mostly about doing barbecues and drinking beers on nice places. Okay, the sailing is sailing. like moving from place to another uh, with the van. It sucks. No one likes it. I mean. 
you know you're just you're just moving it's like a, a boat is like a, a big van you know you don't do it for the sport you do it because you want to be at cool places and be able to move from a cool place to another so i grew up in an environment where i was in a green blue sea nice places um my dad likes to be surrounded by friends and parties so we had always people on the boat we used to fish do big barbecues and yeah that's uh, my childhood so I, I could definitely see you like that uh ryan yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean i'm just trying to look at the the drawbacks i'm not 13 so i'm pretty sure i'm gonna like it yeah yeah but i'm thinking much. about like what are those what are those things about living on a boat that people don't talk about that are just shitty it's you um on the boat you have to become um Andy man <laughs> you have ah. to be able to repair stuff you keep breaking stuff and you need to replace it and uh, that's it that's the only only shitty part is that a boat needs constant attention you know mm-hmm. they say that the two best days in the life of a boat owner is when you buy it and when you sell it um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost true now you have a uh, the, the the boat life is sick you know it's just like the van life but yeah on a on a different different envi- environment yeah. um it's just like yeah you have to a lot less clothes <laughs> yeah <laughs> also you just have to be aware that you're going to put yourself into some situation where things break you're going to be in countries where you can't necessarily repair them and you have to be prepared to know a bit about mechanics electricity etc to keep your boat uh floating it's a bit a bit of work but i mean yeah the the, the boat life is great the boat life is really great constant travel and nice places really cool nice um yeah i mean we, we we've been into a, a few tricky situations but they are like minor compared to the just hurricanes the we had uh yeah did uh, hurricane 1998 uh, wow. was in a hurricane called mitch uh, which was i think the most uh, biggest and most deadly in the in that century holy shit um that was one of the sucky parts it was not too bad but uh, still yeah uh yeah i've experienced that and a few big storms but in the end it went all all went good (laughs) nice so switching gears i'm gonna ask you about gear what are you what are you jumping right now (laughs) are we starting a brand war no (laughs) no but i do want to talk about this uh this mutation that just came out. <laughs> so I'm curious what everybody thinks because I've I've got my thoughts, but I'll let you go first. Um, at the moment, I'm flying a triple X. Uh, what is that? Made by Antoine Laporte. Yeah. Ah, sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So jumping the triple X, I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I've learned to fly it through the summer, and I've been a, a lot of fun with it. I I actually like um, the fact of having uh, don't not having booties, you know. And be able to to run uh, better. So there's no zip-in booties. No. Nope. What does it do? How, it, like how does it? It's it uh, it's attached like a like a two-piece track pants. Hmm. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, I I really Clips like to the that. Top of your shoes. You you lose maybe a bit of um, uh, accuracy in your turns. You know you can't be as sharp. But I, I like the the options of uh, of running. Uh, with it, um, I would like to try actually the onesie power because apparently, like the booties are made in a way that makes the the running uh, really comfy. But I haven't tried it myself, so 
I, I would like to give it a try. Um, the mutation, I see, saw that uh, coming out. Yeah. Um, Martin um, is the same size than me. <laughs> He's ah, actually nice. experimenting right now. I and uh, Yep, we are the same size. And he's around and say I could try it. So maybe I can give you a feedback soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm excited about trying that flying carpet, that yep. tracking wingsuit, as they call mm-hmm. it. The, the wingsuit with the arms cut off. Yeah, and, yeah. And a split in the leg so you can run. You can run, yeah. This seem like uh, it seems that you can't really lift your arms up yet. Hmm. Um, you are a bit uh, stuck with your arms, but they're working on different solutions apparently to... To, to be able to release the arms and have like a full the same comfort as a tracking suit so I will not uh, I thought the arms were pretty well disconnected mm, you still have uh, when you put your arms like this people can see it we're not on video but <laughs> <laughs> when you try to lift your arms yeah. definitely there is a link yeah. between the middle of the your arms and, and, your, and, your, and your leg um, I will not uh, I will not like to have the a tracking suit like this in a base environment because then I might as well get a wingsuit, you know. Right. Uh, but if they work, as they say, as Martin told me, on a, on a p- the possibility to really have the arms up on the mm-hmm. uh, on on the because it's still a prototype, mm-hmm. then yeah, that could definitely be fun. For yeah. me, that's uh, that's important. If I, as soon as uh, I get restrictions from the from the arms, I'm like, yeah, no, I'd rather have a wingsuit mm-hmm. and something that performs like a wingsuit. Right. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see. I I like very much the the new new trend and excitement of manufacturers for tracking because uh, until right. a few years ago we just have the same pants that we have had for 10 years mm-hmm. and there was no evolution everyone was focused on the wingsuit and the older <coughs> R&D was on the wingsuit and now it turns to tracking so now they're making a lot of toys you know and risk competition and things coming from everywhere I'm yeah. like oh I want to try all of this so yeah I'm, I'm quite excited I, I really like what's happening uh, at the moment yeah because I haven't really I haven't really jumped into the one-piece tracking game yet. I just focused on wingsuiting mostly. And the more I watch it, I'm like, eh, maybe there's something to this. Mm, yeah, but me, myself, I actually have a thousand wingsuit skydives. And intent of coming to Lauterbrunn in the wingsuit base jump. Mm. And I am moving into my uh, third season. Mm-hmm. And I'm still tracking and loving it and enjoying it never thought i would enjoy it so much and i and the new things that are coming out the excitement has got me excited to continue tracking instead of opening starting wingsuiting again so mm-hmm. i'm super on current skydiving wingsuit when i go to the skydive environment i'll put on my c2 and fly with brian randy and them uh doing that but that's the only time i see my wingsuit and but really i'm thinking about tracking all the time instead of wingsuiting yeah so david you're you're French. Why, why, do, why do French people track so goddamn good? <laughs> it's in our blood. Yeah. Where no. did that come from? I think um, if it's a serious question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, no. the, all the, you know, you, you talk about Frenchies, Frenchies can track. It's. I think it's all about the environment. You know, Frenchies can track because we have big mountains, and the tracking is into our culture. Um, whereas, uh, but none, none of us, of uh, just a few of us, are capable of doing a, a double gainer at the Perrine, which Americans do after 50 jumps. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a it's a question of, of environment. Um, we have the place to do it, mm. and um, and also we it's. Uh, valued a lot 
in the French community to be a, a good tracker. Um, oh, I mean, if you if you're French and you can't track, you just you you actually you hang your head in shame. Don't you? <laughs> completely, completely. And if you if you if you if you're in the French community, people will be like, uh, if you track like shit, you'll be a shit jumper overall. You know, if <laughs> even if you do some crazy aerials and stuff, you'll be yeah, but you're a shit tracker. You know, <sighs> you should learn to track first. Tracking is the safety, blah blah, and and because. Frenchies are so demanding about the tracking and so, you know, like don't hesitate to, uh, to, uh, cr criticize point, your tracking, etc. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, um, then that pushes people to track, uh, because they feel that it's the, <coughs> it's the thing to do to be, uh, to be a good jumper. And as you're surrounded also by good jumper, you get some advices, etc. So with the environment we get and the culture of tracking we have, I think you, you build, uh, early some generation of, Maybe not all good, but uh, decent trackers. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, uh, ask, any, ask most of Frenchies to do uh, crazy low static lines or aerials from the bridge, and they will suck at it. So sure, uh, yeah. There you go. Now we know. <laughs> it's, they're just born with it. <laughs> they're born with it. But actually, it's impressed into the culture. I mean, actually, if you if you if you look at the Sky Derby results. Uh, for the past year, it's uh, it's an Australian that is uh, on top. Lance, yeah, Lance and Robin are fucking killing it oh, in yeah. the in the onesie power. <laughs> they're, they're on top of all the tracking. Well, Lance, Milkstool, and all of those all those new sites are well, they're not new, but now there's like, ooh, yeah, we can we can track these. <laughs> it clearly like clearly the the one piece. Um, has opened a whole new playground yeah. for the for the tracking. Do you use a fly site? Um, I don't have one myself, but I've borrowed a one for when I start my progression in a new suit, and I think it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. and it gives you data and a bit of feedback um, about what you're doing. You can see that you have a, you have a feeling, and if you can associate this feeling with numbers then you know what you're doing, you know, like, okay, yeah, when I feel that I'm pushed a bit that way, that's actually when I, my maximum speed, and maybe I should, you know, and it's uh, it's good to be able to associate feelings with numbers, because then you can correct your track in free fall, so mm -hmm. I, I, I will not fly uh, fly side all the time, because then you're too focused on the track, and you forget about the fun, and you try to do too much, mm -hmm. but uh, definitely when you start with a new suit, with a one-piece, I think it's worth having one, and uh, if you're able, of course, to analyze your data. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is actually really cool because I saw, um, <coughs> like, Chris Geiler is doing, like, uh, remote coaching. You send him your FlySight data. Okay. And the video. And he'll he'll analyze. He doesn't even need the video. He'll just look at your FlySight data yeah. and tell you exactly what you did on your jump. Exactly. And give you, you know, hey, do this, do that, do this. Yeah, when this happened, do you remember what you were doing? Yeah, and he can do remote coaching. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, once you start having a lot of um, tracks on uh, on Sky Derby and you compare it to overs and stuff, you start understanding what uh, what the curves mean, you know. And straight away, when you upload your data, and as soon yeah. as you see the curve, you're like, oh, I was too slow again. You know, I'm terrible. <laughs> I suck. Never gonna be that good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I I try. I'm not really looking for performance. Um, like so, you have like people like Lance Antoine and stuff. They all use their suit to the maximum to do um, some hardcore exit, and I don't like to go on things that are so committing because I'm more scared than happy. So mm. it's not really worth it for me. Right. But um, it 
it managed to make me comfortable of things that were challenging. You know what I mean? Right. It's a cha- I don't do anything that I wouldn't do with the the a smaller suit. Mm. If uh, if I was able to if um, if a hard jump in a, that I did in a two piece uh, it becomes a normal jump in the one piece mm-hmm. and um, that that's pretty much it you know and I push it a little bit further but uh, yeah give yourself margin yeah I give myself margin on the on the same exit and sometimes challenge my things on bigger stuff mm-hmm. but um, I will not do something that I can't do in a smaller suit because I'm a pussy mm. <laughs> yeah a pussy that's still here. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. And that helps us stay here. Yeah. Well, cool. So I know we are in the Horner upstairs bar. We're here early, so we uh, we could start drinking now and just not tell Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but that might be the last time we record at the Horner upstairs bar. Yeah, I think she's going to see if we empty the beers. Yeah. This but setup is actually really nice. Yeah, this we're is like right at the really bar. I'm, I'm actually. Uh, it almost seems like it's yeah, a I studio. Yeah, I was gonna go grab my phone and take I, a picture real I'm quick. I'm gonna take a selfie. So I know that they want to come in here and clean. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, just wrapping it up. Um, first of all, thank you, Charlie, for letting us hang out in the upstairs bar. Before everybody else, this is actually a pretty sweet spot. It is a sweet spot. Okay. It, it's more like a studio than the packing room or Lisa's house. Yep. <laughs> um, and yeah, man, David, thanks for having or thanks for coming on with us. Thanks a lot, man. And uh, yeah, any anything you want to kind of plug or talk about before we go? What do you What are you on Instagram? We'll have your uh, Instagram handle and all that stuff on the uh, already on the show notes and whatnot. But Perfect. Yeah. Uh, no. Your latest YouTube video is actually really good. Thanks a lot. Really, Thanks really lot. good. Yeah, uh, if you're not following David on Instagram and uh, YouTube, definitely go check it out. He's entertaining, <laughs> to say the least. No, well, um, I just wish everyone some safe and fun jumps. Um, I hope to meet everyone on Exit Points, share the fun, um, eat your veggies, <laughs> 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 and don't take yourself too seriously. Fuck yeah. Yep. All right, guys. Have a good one. Cheers. You. All right. If you want to know more about our guests, just check out the show notes. And if you want to give us some feedback or reach out to us, you can hit us at baselife2014 at gmail.com, facebook.com backslash the baselife. And on Instagram, we're at base.